immersive audio podcast. In conversations with industry thought leaders, practitioners, artists, academics, and entrepreneurs, discussing all aspects of this rapidly evolving industry, from art, science, and business to practical insights and project case studies. We aim to inform, educate, explore, and unite the community. Hello and welcome to the Immersive Audio Podcast, episode 75. My name is Oliver Cadell, and today we're going to talk about binaural audio over speakers. Hold on a second, isn't binaural audio typically associated with playback on headphones? The answer is yes, usually, but the technology doesn't stand still. And today we're going to meet a company called Audio Cynic, who have solved the issue of crosstalk cancellation and went beyond making binaural audio over speakers compelling and accessible to just about anybody. Their technology uses real-time head tracking and sound field control to create virtual headphones that render personal 3D audio to the position of the listener. Now let's meet the team and find out how it all started. Welcome to Audio Cynic. Please follow me. I want to show you around. We enter here. This is our main office where you can see everybody working. This is where we do all our core uh, product, which is taking our algorithms and making actual product. This is where all this transition happens and we do most of our work. Then I can show you the lab where it is where we are developing these algorithms. If you follow me here and we go through this other door, uh, this is the main audiocenic lab. Uh, we started the company here. It was our lab at some point. It became like we were so many people that we couldn't use it as a lab until we moved to the new office. Here you can see our R&D guys. They are measuring some miniature speakers. We are working with um, laptops. We are putting our technology in laptops so that laptops can have a spatial audio and this work is happening here. This moment you can also see loudspeaker arrays with many loudspeakers. These are prototypes that we use for developing home cinema systems. And then you can see all these heads. It looks a bit like uh, the room of the guy from Toy Story. We are not dismantling toys, we are really using these heads, these binaural microphones to really simulate heads of users and measure their acoustic performance and measure their positions through head tracking systems. This is where the company has uh, been until now. Recently we closed a funding round, which is our CDSA, and this is great because we are getting another office to accommodate more people and we are getting a second lab for home cinema. We call it the blue room because we put the blue curtains to make it a bit more dead from an acoustical point of view. We are going to use this lab mainly for the development of home cinema systems. We need to have a space that can allow us to simulate a large living room. We want to track users up to five meters and this is the place where we are going to and develop it. We are installing a 7.4.2 Atmos system that we will use it to compare it to the experience that we want to give to the with the soundbars. We will compare the experience that the soundbars give with the actual Atmos setup. My name is uh, Marcos Simon, and I am the CTO and one of the co-founders at Audiocynic. Audiocynic is born from the desire of really taking our technology and, and giving it to the people. Why do we work in audio? 
And I think it's because of the, the sensation that it causes when we listen to a certain kind of music. How do we feel? And I think that happens with audio. But when I listen to spatial audio, this sensation on steroids. And I think that's why basically I like to start working in audio. So when, when I was in the S3A project, and this is 2015, we started doing the first uh, tests with crustal cancellation. ISVR, Institute of Sound and Vibration Research at University of Southampton, there have been already some companies that were commercializing some technologies for crustal cancellation. And I remember listening to these systems. These systems had a problem that then we solved in our company. The problem is that they had a fixed sweet spot. And it's basically that you were in front of the device and it was giving you an amazing feeling. You were hearing sound all around you. And when, when you were really in front of them, I said, wow, this is, this is super cool. You know, this is something that basically people should have at home. And then is when we started thinking on techniques on improving these flaws that the system had, which was this, the fixed sweet spot. Back then I was a researcher. I was a postdoc. I was working in this um, research program. And we started looking in ways of making this uh, crustal cancellation user adaptive, okay? You just should be in front of a device and wherever you are, you should hear 3D sound. And at some point, we started having a technology that actually was working well. And I was saying, this is cool. And then I started thinking, I don't want this to be a journal paper. You know, that was like this, this thing. I don't want this, this technology to stay in the university, to follow the traditional academic way of uh, you do an experiment, you write a paper, because this is what... Um, academics uh, normally do, and then the papers go, and then you start another project. This is valuable. This should end up somewhere else. And then this was around 2016, 2017. I started going to entrepreneurial activities, like um, there was this thing called Set Square. They invited me to, so I applied, and they invited me to some courses. They invited me to something called iCure, which is a UK uh, initiative that stands for innovation and commercialization of university research. And that was great because that gave me around 30,000 pounds to travel around the world and to show the earlier prototypes that we had to people. That was really when Audiocenic started. I had this soundbar that I built it all myself because I had a technician that was helping me, but this the technician, I don't know, he was like a injured or something like that. So I had to build, build it all myself in the university uh, workshop. And I started traveling the world thanks to these funds and showing it to people. And we saw it to everybody, to all the companies that you can think of, from Apple to Yamaha to Sony. And it was a very early prototype. We've learned a lot about how to basically interact with, uh, with our customers, which are companies, this, this kind of companies, over the time of the collision has existed. But back then we were doing demos, we were having lots of feedback. This was as I say, a prototype that sounded very bad and didn't work well, you know, but it proved the concept. And we demoed it at CES, well, this is CES 2017, the Consumer Electronics Show. And some people came and they told us, this show, 200,000 people, this is the best demo I have heard in the show. People were listening to the soundbar in the middle of the show and they were hearing a dinosaur going around them with a soundbar that was in front of them. The fact that consumers told us that, that was great. And Audiocynic is founded by Professor Filippo Fazzi and myself. And I met Filippo when I was working in the S3A program. He was my line manager. And between uh, him and myself, we co-invented the core technology of Audiocynic. My name is Filippo Fazzi, 
and I'm one of the co-founders of AudioCynic, and I'm also the chief scientist at the company. My main contribution is about the creation of new ideas and new technologies, and also to ensure that the research and development that we do at the company is always a solid scientific foundation. When I don't spend time at the company, I'm also a professor of acoustic signal processing at the University of Southampton. Everything started with a research project at the Institute of Sound and Vibration Research of the University of Southampton at the ISVR. It was a research project supported by, by the UK government, and it was about spatial audio. And at that time, uh, we were building on the experience, long-term expertise that uh, the ISVR had on spatial audio. But then we made the bold decision to combine that with computer vision. And uh, Marcus and I, uh, develop some initial technologies, how we could use information that were coming from uh, a camera tracking the position of one or multiple listeners and use that information to adapt the audio signal processing algorithms and to ensure that the uh, experience was always uh, you know, consistent and, uh, and, and always a good experience regardless of where the listener were. Uh, we started doing that uh, initially in a lab with you know, some <laughs> prototypes were kind of very kind of sticking together with uh, with, uh, you know, cellar tape or something like that. They were, they were not looking very professional, but they were sounding good. They were really sounding good and people really liked it. They liked it so much when we were giving demos to people and it would say, oh, that's so great. I like it. Where can I buy it? And, you know, you hear it once, you hear it twice. And then after many times you heard it. And when you hear it after, uh, you know, from many, many people, when we presented this technology at the Consumer Electronics Show at Las Vegas, and we, were, we received such a strong encouragement from people to turn that idea into a practical product. Then Marcus and I thought, well, why don't we do that? Why don't we um, turn this idea, these technologies that by that time we had patented into, you know, the first product of our startup company? And that was the beginning of the journey. Mark and I, and I sat at a table in, in his office. And uh, I remember when we pressed the button to create the company, at the time the name was not AudioCynic, it was Soton Audio Labs, but then we, we changed the name. But I think then the turning point uh, was when we then met Lee Thornton and, and later also David Monteith. They brought uh, a wealth of experience, both from an investment point of view, startup points of view, and also how to run a, an audio startup. And then when things really started to take a completely different turn, the company grew very quick and an amazing journey started then. And I really like to think we are still at the beginning of the journey. It was amazing. From my personal point of view, there were so many emotions, so much I've learned. And I'm obviously very, very grateful to, to, to Marcus because without him AudioCynic would certainly not exist. Marcos admitted that it wasn't easy and it was critical to secure the funding in order to keep the company afloat and importantly to continue the product development. Basically fundraising has been crucial to take AudioCynic to where it is at the moment because really to, to be where we are now to be able to land a product we needed to take this fundraising to really get our proof of concept and make a real product employ the people that constitute AudioCynic right now and being able to really polish what we had at, at the beginning fundraising started when i first met uh, lee thornton and then he kind of made us an approach like he, he wanted to fund us back then philip and i uh, we were kind of a bit skeptical because, you know, like, and I think this this happens to many people who are in entrepreneurship, they are scared of the investors because you think that the investors are going to take control of our company, that they are going to be mean to you. 
that's not true because in the end, investors, they want the same as you want. They want the best for the company. And this is something that we basically learn. You know, when the investors came and they told to me, well, I'm going to give you lots of money, but what do you know about making companies? You're a researcher, you know? And they brought David Montiz, our CEO, that was taking care that basically we were going in the right direction commercially and as a company. He comes from having had three companies in the past, you know, he knew how to do all of that, basically. In 2018, September the 10th, I believe it was, we made a pitch. The pitch, uh, the pitch where we were like uh, David, Philip, and myself. It got successful and we managed to get uh, half a million pounds of investment. And it took six months because uh, the politics of the university and how to get the technology formed can be ridiculous. But we finally did it. Okay. And in March 2019, we had money in the bank. And this is really when the company started. Hi there, my name is David Monteith. I'm CEO at Audio Scenic. So I'm the chief executive officer, which means I have ultimate responsibility for the managerial decisions in the company. My journey into audio uh, started in optics. I, that's what I studied originally. Uh, but what I was always most interested in was technology and how you take something from an idea into a product. And uh, so I was working in business development at EMI Music Research Laboratories. And there was a great group of people there working on 3D audio technology. And I ultimately ended up leading that into a startup business or a spin-off business from, uh, from EMI called uh, Sensora. And we licensed 3D audio technology to PC makers. After that, uh, I kept working with the, the team from there and we ended up doing two other startups. Um, which did uh, noise cancellation technology. So my journey into audio was much more about the, the business aspects of it rather than the pure technology. I think what we're offering now is unique in the market. Um, it's something that uh, isn't available from uh, anyone else. 3D audio technology is becoming widely used, but there is no cost-effective and highly effective technically way of doing it from loudspeakers. That's what we're offering, something that there's a, a big market opportunity because you can apply this to many different areas. Uh, we've started with PC gaming, but it can apply to console gaming, to TVs, to laptops, to living room soundbars, automotive, public space, kiosks. There are a lot of ways this technology can use, so it's a brilliant opportunity and it's a brilliant technology. Recently, you had your first very important milestone when you released your product commercially at CES 2023 Las Vegas. You also received a number of awards and industry recognition for what you've done so far. Can you talk about the importance of partnership with Razer that made it possible? For a technology business, the, the first product is by far the hardest one. Uh, and so... It's really important that we started with a, a good partner that has a reputation for new innovative products and that we'd market it successfully, promote it successfully, get the message out about what it does. So Razer are really absolute ideal first customer for us. So we were extremely happy that they wanted to launch a product and we were able to work with them and develop it and then launch it at CES. And I think the, the market reaction since then has been great. We've had really good reviews at the show and there's been very good reviews since. So we're extremely happy about that and it's the best possible commercial start for the business. 
from the commercial point of view, what kind of problems are you solving for the consumer market right now? From my perspective, from a commercial point of view, it's the opportunities that that gives us. Um, and I think maybe I could talk about that in terms of some of the markets. The gaming market is the first one that we've addressed. Gaming headsets are, are very good. People get great experience with gaming headsets, but it isn't the only way to listen to audio. If you can listen in loudspeakers as well, then you get a different experience. Um, because you've got something clamped onto your head, it's very difficult to get a sense of distance, of space. We're delivering that, so we're giving something additional and something better and, and new. Um, in laptops, uh, people regularly use laptops to listen to movies, to, to uh, watch movies, watch streaming services, uh, play games. Uh, again, you a lot of the time probably want to use headsets for that, but sometimes if you're sitting at home, it's nicer to not wear headsets all the time. We've all experienced uh, headset fatigue, I think, over recent years from from lockdown. So those are those are two examples. Uh, I think a third one that's really interesting is automotive. Um, we're applying the technology to automotive applications. Automotive audio can sound great, but it still always sounds like you're in a car. It always sounds like you're sitting in a box. Um, with our technology, it can sound like you're sitting in a perfect listening room or in your favorite uh, live venue. So we, with the technology, deliver different things from some of the products that are on the market now and across a whole range of different application areas. So there's a, there's a load of opportunities, a load of new ways to experience audio, and I think that's one of the best things about this, that as we are progressing and learning more, we're thinking of further applications and further ways to use the technology. Let's dive into the core technology that AudioSynic Soundbot features. And what spatial audio fundamentals are at play to make it so effective? Really, from a very basic uh, point of view, the core technology of AudioSynic is an array of loudspeakers. An array of loudspeakers means like a, a group of speakers together in a line. And that can be a soundbar, or that can be the speakers of a laptop, or that can be the speakers of a TV, or speakers in a car. And by using these speakers, we are able to give a user or users the feeling of sound that is completely spatial and all around them. And that's very practical because uh, traditionally, if you really wanted to have um, surround sound, spatial sound, you need to put those speakers all around you. Thanks to our technology, you don't need that anymore. You just need a soundbar. And with this soundbar in front of you, you're going to hear sound all around you. This is the key technology of, of AudioSynic. Apart from that, we can do things like, for example, create directional sound, which is create hotspots of sound that can be good for privacy or for increasing speech intelligibility to hard of hearing users like we were talking before. That's from an external point of view. Really, we dive into the technology of what makes AudioSynic possible. Advanced sound field control. Sound field control, which is like how do we get an agrupation of loudspeakers and we direct sound. And thanks to this sound field control, what we do is that uh, we tag, we connect this sound field control to user tracking sensors, okay? And this is what makes us different from other audio companies. These user tracking sensors tell us where the users are. And because we know where the users are, we are directing sound directly to the ears of the users. With a very compact audio systems, we can have a perception which is very, very wide. It's natural, it's binaural audio we are reproducing in the end, okay? So it becomes very realistic. We can think of AudioSynic technology as a device to create illusions. What we do is creating acoustical illusions to the listener 
that they are in a completely different space. And we do that by providing them a very compelling and realistic 3D audio experience. And when we do that, we also ensure that this experience is very consistent and always a top quality experience, regardless of where the listener or the listeners are in the space. From a more scientific standpoint, audiosonic technology is at the crossroad of three different scientific fields. First field is psychoacoustics, the second is array technology, and the third is computer vision. So let me explain how these three scientific fields interact to generate the virtual technology. Let's start by thinking about uh, a visual illusion, uh, one of these virtual headset, uh, virtual reality devices that are so popular now. As you probably know, they create a virtual, uh, a visual illusion by delivering the correct visual signal to your left eye and to your right eye. Two different signals, but when they are combined, they provide illusion of being visually in a completely different space. Now, we can do exactly the same thing with sound. We need to provide the correct audio signal to your left ear and the correct audio signal to your right ear are the signal that the listener would experience if they were immersed in the real audio scene. But we do that in, in a virtual manner. So we deliver these two signals to the left and right here, these are called binaural signals. And if we achieve to deliver these two signals independently to the two ears, we can achieve a very realistic and convincing acoustical illusion. We can make the listener think they are in a completely different acoustical environment. And that is the bit of psychoacoustics, because we fool the brain by using technology that they are they experience something that is, well, it is real, but at the same time, it is not real, if you see what I mean. But that, then the challenge is, how do we deliver these two signals independently to the left and to the right ear using a loudspeaker or a loudspeaker array? If you think that you take or can take one loudspeaker, then the sound generated by this loudspeaker would reach your right ear, but also your left ear. And this is called cross-talk because, again, the signal generated by a single loudspeaker will be perceived by both our ears. So if you have two signals that we want to deliver to our ears and we use two loudspeakers uh, and we gullibly think that, you know, we can put one loudspeaker to the right of the listener and one loudspeaker to the left, and then the correct signal were delivered to the listener, then, then that's not going to happen because this phenomenon called cross-talk. So we need to cancel cross-talk we need to ensure that the signal intended for the right ear, which reach the right ear only and not the left ear, and the same for the left ear. And we do that by using array technology. Array technology is fundamentally the same technology that is used for antennas, for sonar, for radars. And we use array technology using a loudspeaker array. And fundamentally what we do is we create beams of sound. You can think of a sound beam as, uh, with an analogy to, uh, to, to light, as one of those uh, bullseye lights that they use in theaters when they can illuminate a very specific zone. So imagine that with a loudspeaker array, we can create these two beams of sound, these two bullseye lights, one sonifying the right ear and the other one sonifying the left ear. We can do that using the constructive and destructive acoustical interference between the sound fields generated by the loudspeakers. In other words, you probably know that acoustic propagation is a combination of compression or refractions of air, and each loudspeaker generates a different sound field. Now, if you could be clever enough to control the different loudspeakers in a different way and shape the interference, acoustical interference pattern that they create in space, then we can create 
these sound beams. Now with these two sound beams, one for the left, one for the right here, then we can deliver the two binaural signals and then we can create the psychoacoustic illusion. And that is where array technology plays its role. But then let's go back to this bullseyes on the theater and let's imagine that there are two of these lights that illuminate two actors on the stage. Then what happens when these actors move? As you can imagine, if we don't move also bullseye lights, then the, um, the two actors will be in the dark. And the same happens with audio. When the listener moves, we also need to move the two sound beams. Otherwise, um, the crosstalk cancellation effect, the all acoustical illusion will fall apart very, very quickly. And this problem, this limitation, has been really the main problem that has prevented uh, binaural audio over loudspeaker to reach the marker effectively before AudioCynic. Every time we listen to, to music, we watch a movie, or, or we, we enjoy audio, we always tend to move a little bit to the left and to the right. So having a technology that was very, very effective, but at only one single fixed sweet spot was very, very limiting. And that's where AudioCynic decided, let's use computer vision. Let's use a tracking device that could find out where the listener or the listeners are, and then send this information to the digital audio signal processing algorithm so that it could update its parameters and then steer the two sound beams in the direction of the ears of the listener. By doing that, by combining psychoacoustics, array technology and computer vision, then we can achieve a very realistic and compelling acoustical illusion by sonifying with sound beams the two ears of a listener. And with computer vision, we can ensure that this experience remains top quality and very consistent regardless of where the listener is. There are, of course, many challenges to this, and especially from the array technology point of view, uh, there are some very significant challenges. The problems, if you like, originate from the fact that our ear is such an amazing device. We can hear sounds from as low as 20 hertz and as high as 20 kilohertz. Well, probably not me. My kids can probably hear 20 kilohertz. And that means, so from 20 hertz to 20,000 hertz. So the frequency range of audible sound spans three orders of magnitude. And we have wavelengths that go from several meters to just few centimeters. And this is amazing if you think about it. If you think uh, about our ear as a sensor, uh, that is really amazing. But at the same time, it causes a lot of problems. Uh, if you compare that, for example, to, to our eye, the spectrum of visible light is not even one order of magnitude, it's what we would call one octave. So it's a very narrow range of frequencies for visible light. But again, three orders of magnitudes for audible sound. So what are the problems from a loudspeaker array point of view? Well, we would like to have a very large array, uh, may, maybe an array several meters long, to control low frequencies. On the other end of the spectrum, literally, we would like to have a very, very small array with very closely spaced loudspeakers to control high frequencies. But obviously, this is very impractical. Uh, this is perhaps the main difference between electromagnetic antennas and uh, audio arrays, uh, audio loudspeaker arrays, because the extent of the frequency range that we need to cover. And we can't focus only 
on a very narrow frequency range because otherwise the audio quality would be terrible. So we need to use all our knowledge, all the science that is available, but also we need to use, once again, psychoacoustic to find the optimal trade-off, the optimal compromise that would enable us to create a, a still practical uh, system of finite dimension and also of a finite cost that is obviously crucial from a commercial point of view that could nevertheless deliver a very compelling and realistic experience over a very extended range of frequencies. Next, I sat down with company's head of R&D, Dan Wallace, to reflect on his perspective on developing the hardware towards the commercial release. My name is Dan Wallace, and I'm the research and development lead uh, here at AudioScenic. That means that I'm in charge of uh, turning ideas into products, is, is how I like to summarize my work. So I am involved in algorithm development and uh, at the very start of the process, and then as things progress further into going into more commercial products, then I'm involved in uh, tuning and testing and making sure that everything we're, we're doing there is robust. When I joined the company in February 2021, uh, the research and development department was me. Um, and so I was immediately working in all sorts of areas. So from very low level algorithmic development, working sometimes on paper, sometimes in code to uh, design new parts of the algorithm or, or work out uh, from a fundamental point of view where we could do something different with with spatial audio and using loudspeaker arrays in, in different ways. And then starting to turn some of those ideas into practical demonstrators. So it'll be playing around with some prototype hardware, putting together speakers in, in small enclosures and, and working that out. And then ultimately that ended up being turned into a demo, which we put out to various manufacturers and various other brands that people had heard of. Um, and when feedback comes back, then it fell to me to do some some tuning and some tweaking and making sure that things were things were reliable there. Um, and as the company grew and as we got more uh, more resources, we ended up bringing more people in. The current team is a, a team of four. One's just joined recently, um, and we're growing that to seven in the next few months. Uh, so my role as research and development lead is going to change quite significantly as I'm managing more people. And what it's hopefully going to let us do is uh, look to the future a bit more. So I'm going to be able to spend a bit more of my time thinking about longer term projects, um, looking to bring our technology into different areas. At the moment, we have uh, a soundbar released that's for desktop gaming. It works well for one person, close up. And I want to see where we can push our technology uh, by testing things in the lab for longer ranges, multiple people, different applications like that. Building on Filippo's conceptual explanation on what the audio scenic technology entails, can you elaborate further from a practical point of view on how do you make binaural audio over speakers so effective? Well, the best way to start describing how our technology works is starting with a, an appreciation of spatial hearing. With your two ears, your brain is determining where a sound source is or what environment you're in by comparing the sound which is arriving in each of your two ears. And that way, if we take the signals that is arriving in those two ears and deliver them, say, over headphones, then if you can control the sound which is arriving in each of your ears, then you can hopefully reproduce 
some of those same effects that you'd get out in the real world. And that is possible using headphones because you do have this individual control of the sound which is arriving in both ears. If you don't do any other subtle signal processing, this is not possible to do with speakers because we have this phenomenon called crosstalk. So if you picture yourself with two speakers in front of you, the, the left sound from the left speaker will arrive in both your left and right ears. And your brain will know, okay, I'm hearing these signals in my left and right ears, and so I can resolve that there's a speaker in a particular direction, 30 degrees to my left, 30 degrees to my right. And you know, with panning, you can get a sound to appear somewhere in between there, um, but usually no further or not much further because of this crosstalk. Uh, it limits the amount of spatial information that you can send with a single loudspeaker. And so crosstalk cancellation is a process where you anticipate the signals which are going to come from each of the loudspeakers and you try and cancel the path which goes from the left speaker to the right ear and the right speaker to the left ear. And this two-channel uh, method was first described in a, in a patent in 1968 and it was... Uh, it was revolutionary, but there was problems with it. It was band limited and there were uh, you had to have your head in exactly the right spot because in order for this thing to work, you need to know the relationship between the sound coming from the speaker and where it is arriving uh, or the exact time of arrival in your ears. And But it was possible and you could set this up uh, to cancel the crosstalk uh, and thereby you could send a signal into the system. It would be delivered over the loudspeakers and what would arrive in your ears is independent control of the sound arriving in the left and right. And once you have that independent control, then as if you're wearing headphones, so you can reproduce sounds from behind you or off to the side, way outside the span of the loudspeakers. So with two speakers, that's the minimum you need. Uh, but there are certain frequencies where that becomes difficult because of the path length differences between the signal from one speaker and each of your ears. And so to get around that, you can add more speakers into the problem. So what we use at Audio Scenic is an array of loudspeakers. Depending on the particular problem you're interested in, how far away a user is, and so on, uh, you can add some more speakers into that. And that gives a bit of uh, robustness and reliability uh, to work over a wider bandwidth. So what we do is we combine the sound which is coming from each of the individual speakers. We predict the sound, uh, the way the sound travels from the first speaker, second speaker, third speaker, fourth speaker to each of your two ears. And then we use that to design some filters which are for each of those individual speakers. And the result is, again, crosstalk cancellation, but in a multi-channel way. So now the input signal to your array is still two-channel, one for each ear. The set of filters we make breaks that out into multi-channel, and then the air recombines it into two-channel again, hopefully at the location of the listener's ears. This means you get much more reliability, you have a much more robust uh, sound field and it works over a wider bandwidth. And so you're starting to get to something which is much more realistic. And the only remaining problem then is you have to trust that the listener is where your virtual headphones are. You have to have your head in a fixed position unless you can find a way of updating the filters in real time to track where the listener is. And this is what Audio Scenic technology does. So what we use is we have a camera or we can have some other sensor which is determining the, the position and maybe the orientation of the listener's head. And this is providing information to our algorithm which is then calculating new filters in real time, maybe 20 frames a second, 30 frames a second. And each new time the camera determines the position of the ears, a new filter is made. And this way, as you move your head, the virtual headphones will follow your head. And so then what ends up happening is you are wearing headphones, which rather than being fixed at a position in space, as with conventional crosstalk cancellation, they follow you as if you're wearing those headphones. And so you get full spatial 3D presentation without the need for sitting in a particular sweet spot and having your head clamped facing forwards. Then you start to really unlock some very special audio effects because 
when you have control over the sound which is arriving at the ears of the listener and you're tracking where that listener is, then you can produce these effects of having sources elevated above you or behind you uh, as if you're wearing headphones, but without the any kind of cumbersome wearable and the listener doesn't have to do any calibration because the the camera is picking up where the, where the user is. And the most exciting thing uh, for me is that this is now available in a product. Um, so our software is packaged into the Razer Leviathan V2 Pro. So it's a gaming desktop gaming soundbar um, and it has a camera built in and you stick it down on your desk, you plug it in and the binaural audio feed, which is given by your game engine, which is designed for headphones, um, is sent directly to the soundbar. The soundbar does the array processing, and then you receive the sound at your ears as if you're wearing headphones. Um, and we've been receiving some amazing feedback um, from the gaming community, from people who are uh, early adopters and have got themselves one of these things. And uh, yeah, it's really exciting for us to, to see this technology coming out of our labs and, and into people's homes. And it's really rewarding for me uh, to see the, the things we've been working on for, for several years start to be turning into a reality. Some of our listeners might approach what's being said with a healthy degree of skepticism. What would you say to those people who haven't had a chance to experience binaural audio over speakers properly yet? Uh, it's very easy to, to understand people's skepticism when I'm describing this effect that we're able to generate of virtual headphones floating in free air and following you. Many people listening to this podcast will be uh, industry experts and will have been well used to listening to spatial audio over headphones. And there are some amazing things which you can get with headphone-based spatial audio. And in a lot of systems that have come in the past, uh, they really can't compare uh, if they're being delivered over speakers because there are these trade-offs where you either have to sit in in the same space or if there's a little bit of movement available in order to give that robustness to, to small amounts of listener movement what the designers of those systems will have had to do is increase the size of the sweet spot so being, rather than it being a two centimeter sphere which is focused on at the position of your ears it's a much larger space and uh, the problem with uh, having to control a larger space a larger bubble around your ear to accommodate those listener movements in a non-adaptive system is you lose all high frequency control uh, all the high frequency cues that you would try to deliver very precisely to the ears, they are lost because you're having to control a wider area where your head is, could possibly move to. But what we win when we include the head tracking is we can narrow that sweet spot to be very close to the ears. And this allows us to uh, reproduce effects that are only possible in otherwise using headphones, like having something very close, like a whisper in your ear or uh, something like a fly buzzing around your head. Those high frequency directional cues are uh, not possible to, to deliver in other ways. And when you include the head tracking, you can. And so other than take my word for it, you can hear it. Um, that's that's what I have to say to, to skeptics who have trouble believing that this is possible. But the thing to realize is that these systems do work when you sit exactly in the right place. Say you had a, a cross-talk cancellation system that was uh, going to a fixed position and you aligned yourself up and you set yourself up in maybe a, a very nice room uh, and you lined yourself up and it was perfectly and in that spot it was working. What we can do with the adaptive system is we broaden that sweet spot so you get that same experience but you don't have to you know, sit upright with your head straight ahead. Um, we can adapt to your position, uh, and that way you can you can relax and you can enjoy whatever content you're listening to without having to try and get around the the problems with the with the systems. I, I think it's been mentioned before that this technology or this uh, the the mathematics behind this idea is very old. It's ni 1970s uh, technology. You know, Ambisonics hasn't seen 
very widespread adoption, certainly in the playback side, because you need a cumbersome large loudspeaker array to, to reproduce it. And it's the same thing with conventional crosstalk cancellation systems. It has a pretty fundamental problem if you don't do listener head rotation adaptation and position adaptation, which is your listener has to stay in the same space. But by including user tracking technologies, and we're looking to include uh well, we support lots of different uh, types of user tracking. Uh, they could be based on wearables, but who wants to wear wearables? If you can do uh, virtual sensing using depth cameras or, or individual cameras or time of flight sensors or LiDAR, or there's, there's all these different sensing technologies out there which can, can give a good, reliable user position. And when you combine that, then you can uh, produce a really practical working crosstalk cancellation system. In the next episode, if you follow me, I would like to show you another uh, space uh, that does not exist, but that is going to become important. As we mentioned, we are also doing uh, projects in automotive audio to give a special audio to the different occupants of the vehicles and to create independent listening zones. Over the years, you will learn certain things about uh, what does translate very well binaurally and what stuff does not. Lower frequencies uh, aren't as easily locatable in the brain when you have your eyes closed. Personalized HRTFs are really interesting and, and very hot at the moment and, and for good reason. So I was like, okay, what is this going to be like? So my expectations, to be honest, were not too high. And I got like a minor heart attack because something was happening behind me. Thanks for listening. Until next time. If you enjoy the podcast and would like to show your support, please consider becoming a Patreon. Not only are you supporting us, but you will also get special access to bonus content and much more. Find out more on our official Patreon page, www.patreon.com slash immersive audio podcast. You've been listening to the Immersive Audio Podcast, hosted by Oliver Cadell and Monica Bowles. This episode was produced by Oliver Cadell and Emma Reese and included music by Rhythm Scott. Got an idea for an episode or want to comment on something we've discussed recently? Drop us an email at podcast at 1618digital.com or find us on Twitter at iAudioPodcast. If you've enjoyed our show, head to our page on iTunes and leave us a review and rating. It really helps us out. Visit immersiveaudiopodcast.com to access show notes and other episodes and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Thanks for listening. Looking for more audio-related podcasts to listen to? We're part of the Audio Podcast Alliance, featuring a hand-picked selection of the very best podcasts about sound. Be sure to hear the latest episodes from our friends in the community at audiopodcast.org.